Hey guys, if you'd like to turn to Jonah 1, this is going to be our third week in the book of Jonah. Still in chapter 1. As you can see, Jonah 1 goes till verse 17, but we're going to read 1 to 16 today and end with a little cliffhanger. So once you've found it, you can stand with me and we will read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this time, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. O God, I do pray that, that you will make this word come alive before us today in such a way that it it really impacts our heart and soul and our mind and helps us honor you and stand in awe of you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can sit down. So if you were on a sailing ship and you had the opportunity to take with you someone who would row back to land if the sea grew wild and crazy, or someone who would jump out of the boat, which one would you take with you? 
The first one. <laughs> yes. The first one. I think most of us would take the first one. Most of us would take someone who is, seems like they're in it together. They're, <laughs> no matter what comes, they're going to be the one who sticks with you. And, and what we're going to deal with today is, is looking at the life of these sailors who seem to be really nice guys. And, and yet God is calling these really nice guys to still worship him. And I, I think this is, this is a, a conflict we get all the time uh, as people, people who talk to us um, that aren't Christians. They say, well, you know, I don't, I don't need God to be good. I'm, I'm okay without him. You know, I, I help children in distress. I climbed a tree last week and got a cat out of it. Um, why do I need God? And so this is what we're going to go through today. I, I think first we have to look at what, the way we view most people. I actually looked, you know, we, we, <laughs> we talk about the accessibility we have of information these days. And so I looked on like ratio, good people to bad people. But, the, but really, you know, I googled that and nothing really came up. But because partly, our, the, the way we go about finding out goodness and badness is fairly subjective. Because even if, even if I said, well, do you think the world is mainly bad people? Or do you think the world is mainly good people? Then I have to be like, well, good people are good, good people, or bad people and bad, bad people. Right? Are you with me? Right? Good people like... Um, well, I, you know, you, you didn't cheat on your homework versus you lived in a leper colony for a long time. Or, or you didn't, you know, get the candy out of the bulk bin at Fred Meyer versus Hitler, right? So we have, we have this varying gradient of what we would consider good and what we would consider bad. And that, that's what makes it really confusing as we as Christians deal with this problem and those who aren't Christians deal with this problem and then we talk together because what I really want to confront too is, is how we as Christians view those who are not Christians when sometimes we do no better of a job at talking about those who are unbelievers than the, the news does of confronting our fears. Right? Oftentimes... You watch the news and you're like, you know, you walk out your door and think someone's going to murder you. And, and sometimes when we are talking about those who are unbelievers, we can paint the picture like they are doing the most amount of evil that they possibly could at all times. But then you're dealing with this issue of they're like, well, I'm, I'm nice. I, I enjoy... You know, latte art. I enjoy fun things. I like hanging out with friends. You know, and so, so what do we do when God is calling nice people to worship Him? And how do we deal with that? There's, there's a book written by a guy named Greg Epstein. He is a humanist chaplain at Harvard University. They have those these days. And he wrote a book called "Good Without God: What a Billion Non-Religious People Think." And this is, this is. I read some of his stuff online, but. This is, uh, to sell the book, it says, with a focus on the positive, Greg highlights humanity's potential for goodness 
and the ways in which humanists lead lives of purpose and compassion. Humanism can offer the sense of community we want and often need in good times and bad as we celebrate marriages and the birth of our children, as we care for those who are elderly or sick. In short, humanism teaches us that we can lead good and moral lives without supernaturalism, without higher power, and without God. And to share a story, this is it. One cold Chicago day last February, I watched a FedEx delivery man carrying an armful of boxes to his truck. In the middle of the icy street, he slipped, scattering boxes and exposing himself to traffic. Without thinking, I ran into the street, stopped cars, hoisted the man up, and recovered his load. Pondering this afterward, I realized that my tiny act of altruism was completely instinctive. There was no time for calculation. Good job, Greg. <laughs> so so we, we look at that and we're like, yes, that's nice. That's very good. And so what I want us to, to look at today is the, the difference between, between what God is actually calling us to enter into when he's calling us to worship him. And oftentimes what we, what we offer people... Oftentimes, what we're offering people for Christianity is no more than, than morality, right? If, if you become a Christian, then all of a sudden you have love abounding. And that's not always the case, you'll find, right? I mean, you, you read the history of people, and Martin Luther was crotchety, right? Jerome, who wrote the, the Vulgate, was... I mean, he would make, uh, he would make uh, groups of monks in the desert disband because he was... <laughs> He was just not enjoyable to be around. So we have this interesting, this interesting combination of, of what does it look like as we, as we come to God? Do we all of a sudden become perfect when we come to him? Or do those that, that don't come to God, are they, are they just out there doing whatever they want? And so how do we as Christians deal with this? Is this, is this making sense to you guys? I think this is, this is I, I come against this all the time. And, and I think looking at the sailors really helps us to deal with this. Because we've looked at Jonah, who we've all agreed upon that he wouldn't be the one we would choose to be on our island. Right? But what about these guys? And so I'm going to tell you the story of the sailors here and, and how they got to this point where they wanted to worship God. These sailors who for all intents and purposes, were, were really, they were, doing, they were doing their best, right? And that, that's what we perceive by reading this story. So we begin by them entering a boat, right? It seems like it's a beautiful day. They didn't, they didn't have any fear about setting sail that day. Um, probably had good teamwork loading the boat. They set out. And all of a sudden, this great storm comes upon the boat. A storm that possibly they'd never seen the likes of it before, and it threatened to break apart a ship. And if you've watched the movie Titanic, which I have not, you know what it looks like to break apart a ship, right? That's not something, if you're a captain or a sailor, you want to see done to your vessel. And so they're freaking out. And this is the first of three fears we see in this story, and it's important that we follow each one of them. The first fear that comes upon these sailors is a fear of absolute helplessness. Right? They know the sea 
They know that this storm isn't like any other storm they've had, and they can't just row back. And so this, this fear of absolute helplessness overwhelms them. And their response is appropriate. What do you do? What do you do when, when all your means are spent and you can't do anything more? Right? When you feel helpless. And that's what they've come against. They've come against a problem that their intellect, their heart, their strength, everything they have to offer isn't going to help. And so they're terrified by the, the, by the prospect of this. What will you do at a time like this? And the first thing that they do is they lose, they lose, their, um, they lose faith in their tribal deities, right? Because they're praying to these gods, and they have gods for almost everything. Um, right now, in our culture, we don't have visible gods for everything. So it's like, do you have a, a god for fertility? And you're like, yeah, look at my shelf. There it is, right? But, but for us... <laughs> The gods we worship are, are very invisible oftentimes, so we, we hold our tribal deities unless there's conflict that comes into it and we feel very helpless about it, and then we begin to lose our tribal deities, right? And so, so as they're praying and they see, well, our gods don't have any response. Our gods don't even have hope because they're just as helpless as we are. And so their fear isn't subsided by their tribal deities. And so they... they turn again looking for divine counsel and where do they turn? They turn to casting lots which is basically pick up sticks and, right, and so they're, they're trying to just decipher what's going on here and the crazy thing is, get this, in this story that God actually is speaking through the lots, right? Noah gets the short end of the stick so, oh sorry Jonah, every time I talk about it I say Noah Forgive me. Translate Noah to Jonah anytime I say that. So, Jonah gets the short end of the stick, and what happens? We have questions for him. Right? So, our tribal deeds didn't solve anything. You know, you got the shortest stick. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. And so, the questions they have for him are amazing, right? Who is responsible for this? What do you do? Right? What do you do? What's your occupation? Right? Where do you come from? What is your country? What is your people? And the interesting thing about this is, is this isn't just like a casual date, right? Where you're trying to make conversation. Like they really want to know they're in earnest. Right? They've come against something where, where all their ability to figure out has failed. Right? They're on the high seas. Their boat's going to capsize. It's going to break. What's going what's to happen? They're helpless. Right? They, these are mighty men of the sea, and they're helpless here. And so they're looking for answers. And so they begin asking Jonah these questions. And Jonah has an answer. And so this is the point of proclamation. Jonah tells them this. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Very simple. Right? I'm a Hebrew. That's, that's where I come from. He doesn't share his occupation because he's probably not proud of it at this moment because he's a, a prophet on the run. But what does he know? He knows that the Lord he serves isn't merely a tribal deity. It's the Lord of the land and the sea. He knows it's the Lord of everything. He just gives this simple proclamation to the people. And we don't know if this is something with conviction or not, but he gives it, and it's the truth, right? That, that I know the God who is causing the storm 
And this, this fills them with the second kind of fear, right? We have three fears here. The second fear that the sailors experience is a fear of realization. Right? Because their tribal deities were deities that, that were just as fickle as anyone else and didn't really have power because they were located in this little box, right? Or they were on the shelf or somewhere else. But all of a sudden, they got this fear of realization that reality was very different than what they had perceived before, right? And all of a sudden, their fear of realization was, it was similar to the, the realization of Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel, where, where he says, of God, he says, he, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Right? This fear of realization of who God actually is, and this is just dawning upon them for the first time. Right? It's a God who, whose first question isn't, are you nice or are you not? Right? It's not a God who says, well, can I intrude upon your life or can I stay out of your life? But a God who indeed not only created everything but can speak into everything. Right? right? That the powers of heaven and people of earth have, have nothing on him. Right? And so this fear of realization of who he is and how will he treat them because he can do whatever he wants. And there's this, this absolute sense of awe that they have of him. They realize that even their good efforts, will that be something that pleases this powerful God? Right? In Isaiah it says, You come to the help who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Right, so as, we, as they, they started hearing about this God, they're like, what do, what do I have to offer this God, right? Maybe my travel duties I could pay off and the storm would be calm again, but, but what are we going to do with this God who is, who all of a sudden, it's not a God who needs me, but I need this God. And so, their response, and the response that comes is this. That Jonah begins to explain a little more to them. And he says, he suggests, you know, I'm the one who is causing this. If you but throw me into the sea, the sea will grow calm. And we have this really interesting point here that makes us feel very uncomfortable where we have, and I'm going I'm to say it in a way that probably makes us feel uncomfortable, we have an uncivilized God and a civilized effort, right? <laughs> An uncivilized God and a civilized effort. So we have the civilized effort of the men who are like, don't worry, Jonah, we're in it with you. And they start rowing back, right? <laughs> like, right? Very nice thing to do. But the, what does the sea do? The sea, what is, it just gets rougher and rougher. And this uncivilized God who, what is this? Will he make us throw this man into the sea for it to become calm? Right? And this is shocking to us because, because we, we prefer to present things in very rational ways like, God, that's outrageous. Right? Throw Jonah into the sea? That is, that is wild. But here they've just been introduced to this God who created the sea and the land and, and everything. And what are you going to do? How are you going to fight against this God? And we have to ask of Jonah, is Jonah, what is Jonah doing here? Is he suicidal? Is he crazy? 
Right? I mean, very seriously, we have to ask these things. But the thing is, Jonah obviously didn't just hurl himself off, right? So, so why? And we, we learn in this greater context of Scripture, which is really cool, and we're actually going to talk about it more next week, so I won't talk too much about it. But this, this strange representation of Jesus who is thrown in, buried, and three days in the belly of a whale and gets out, right? This weird thing. So, so we learn this later in the context of the scriptures as a whole, but right now we're going like, what are you doing? Like, why throw this guy overboard? This just doesn't make sense. But the, the Bible isn't trying to make sense of it right here. It's just saying, throw him overboard. Right? And we're like, I don't, I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with that. Right? I'm going to row back. Right? And so this is what we do in our lives. We're like, okay, God, I see you're, you're big, and, but my mind's pretty big too. And I see this is the way you want me to be saved, but I'm going to row. Right? So this is, this is strange, but unless we, we begin f- moving along this, this road of understanding where these fears are coming from. So we have fear of helplessness, where all of a sudden we're in terrain that we're not familiar with, right? You're like, okay, I, I understand. <laughs> I've, every week I use an example of relationships, right? But, but that's, this is what it looks like in our lives, right? We like to pretend we're so rational, and they're like, it totally makes sense to get married, right? And then later you're like, this doesn't make sense at all, right? <laughs> But in, in, this, in this bigger scale, we have these, these points where we're like, yeah, God totally makes sense. I'm really glad you made the world and everything in it, and I'm just, that's super cool. And then he does something where we're like, but I don't get that. And the Bible's articulate and clear about it, where it just says, his ways aren't our ways. His, high, his, his thoughts are high above our own. And what's going on here? And we don't, we don't immediately just get to know. I think, I think when we, we get to the Gospels, we begin to know why he's thrown overboard and why he spends the time in the belly of a whale and, or a big fish. And it's crazy to us. But, but what's going on here? And, and we have to admire, right, the, the efforts of these sailors to somehow include themselves in the story. But I think partly, you know, for Jonah, if he might be making sense of this, along with the sailors, is if you're in a big storm, I mean, you're not turning your boat anywhere, right? You're just getting thrown about. So what are you going to do? Well, he confesses. We don't know if his confession is genuine or not, but he confesses and says, I'm the one. But does the, does the sea stop getting rough because he confesses? All of a sudden, is it like, oh, end of movie, oh. Right? Let's, let's bring him back to Nineveh. No. The sea just gets rougher and rougher and rougher. So what are we going to do? What does this God want? Well, throw Jonah overboard. And so, so we don't know if Jonah's learning anything right now, but the sailors are. And so what the sailors do is they, they begin pleading with this God they just found out about. Right? And they say, they say this. They say, oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Oh Lord, have done as you pleased. So, so they, they begin acknowledging this God who can do whatever he pleases. But don't hold our lives accountable for the life of this man. 
And so they throw Jonah overboard, and the sea becomes calm. And what do they do? This is the interesting part. Is that it says here that they greatly fear the Lord. What do we make of this? And this is the third kind of fear we find in this, and I, I want us to just grab a hold of this for a little bit, because this will separate us from just creating a weak view of Christianity that only has to do with morality, right? God is good and, and intended us to act in good and moral ways. But oftentimes we just flip the whole thing around, right? And we think, we think people will come to know God by, by coming to know that they're bad people, right? And that's absolutely wrong. People come to know God by beginning to see God and his holiness and saying, Oh God, God, you do what you please with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. And, and as I begin to see you, God, I begin to see that I'm, I'm not like you. I'm not like you in any way. And I, I would even say that my relationship is just, God, I don't even know how to bring my, myself back in relationship with you. Right? And so I'm rowing, I'm trying to save myself. And what does that look like? What does that look like? And this is what it looked like for these sailors as they moved from fear of helplessness, right? this feeling that they're caught in this, this huge sea where everything's chaos and they don't know what to do, to this feeling of, this, this fear of, of being able to like recognize for the first time who's in control of everything, but that's not necessarily helping to this directed fear, this directed fear towards God where it says they sacrifice and make vows to him. And this is a strange fear that the Bible talks about. In Proverbs it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. But the Bible also says that perfect love casts out fear. So is it talking about the same fear? Does God not have perfect love for us? And are we supposed to be actually afraid of him? In Exodus 20, 20, it says this. It says, Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Get this, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. Get how they use these two terms in here. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. And this final fear that the sailors had at the end wasn't, wasn't this fear of, I'm afraid of God, but this absolute amazement by God. Uh, an author that I really appreciate, A.W. Pink, he writes this, and he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, happy the soul is that has been awed by the view of God's majesty, that has had a vision of God's awful greatness. His ineffable holiness, his perfect righteousness, his irresistible power, his sovereign grace. Does someone say, but it is only the unsaved, the outside of Christ, who need to fear God? The sufficient answer is, is that the saved, those who are in Christ, are admonished to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Time was, uh, there was a time when it was the general custom to speak of the believer as the God-fearing person. Right? You might hear that. 
Right, that's, that's a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman. We don't really speak in those terms anymore. It says, that was the title, but it has nearly become extinct. When we speak of godly fear, of course we do not mean servant fear, such as prevails among those who worship lesser gods, right? That are just scared of retribution or scared of something else. It says, no, we mean that the spirit which Jehovah is pledged to bless, that spirit to which the prophet referred to said, to this man will I, the Lord, look, him who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. And then it ends again. It says, happy is the soul that has been awed by the view, awed by the view of the majesty of God. So I want us to think of this. How are we... How are we calling people to know God? And how are we refreshing our idea of what it means to know God? And are we living by an idea that, that the gooder you are, the closer you are to God, and the worse you are, the further you are away from God? And, and I'll say that with a caveat, that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which are good things, and we promote, and we love, and we celebrate. And God is called good. God is good. God is love. And so oftentimes as Christians, we get in this, these kind of pathetic debates with people of like, like, if you're not a Christian, you can't be good. But it's because we're really defining things in different ways. People are like, no, I'm nice. Right? I'm, I'm nice, and I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay doing nice things, even though I don't believe in God. But God isn't calling us just to be nice. God didn't create us just to be nice. God created us to have a relationship with himself. And that's what we as Christians are calling people to do. If if your excitement about being a Christian, I'm going to say this really clear, if your excitement about being a Christian is just about being good, you've missed the point. Unless your excitement is about this God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, you've missed the point. Right? In Psalm 29 it says this, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars. He breaks the pieces into pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the deserts of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks. He strips the forest bare. In his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God we worship. Right? And this is why we call, by our own subjective definitions of good, bad, happy, sad, whatever that is, this is why we call nice people to worship God. This is why we call bad people to worship God. I'm using those very subjective terms. I believe that there's concrete definitions for those things, and I believe God is the definer of good. Right? 
But in the subjective way we use these terms, in the subjective ways we talk about our lives, we call all people to worship God because he's created the whole world and everything in it. Right? Amen? Right? Amen. <laughs> so as we come to him, I'm not just coming to say, and we, we mess this up all the time because when someone comes and they're hurting, we're like, well, you know, maybe you should try stopping playing so many video games. Right? No, we're like, have you seen God? Right? God, is, God is incredible. Right? As I talk to my friends who, who would, are agnostics, they don't believe in God, and, and they find so much comfort in, you know, whether it's rock climbing or something like that. And we go and we are like, uh, we're not at a loss of what to speak about. We're like, look at what God made, right? And we call people back to worship of the God who created the world and everything in it. But it, it does hit home in these profound moments where most of us, if not all of us, have to go through these three steps. Fear of helplessness. What was our, did somebody write down our second kind of fear? I have it down too in my notes. Right? Fear of realization, right? Fear of helplessness, fear of realization, and then fear of the Lord. Right, hold that. Because oftentimes we're like, we're doing fine, and then people are like, well, why is it that Christianity looks like a crutch? Because it looks like all these hurting people like Jesus. Well, it's probably because you haven't figured out yet that you're pretty helpless. Just throwing that out there. Right? <laughs> Second point, right? You probably haven't really realized that, <laughs> that we need God a whole lot, right? I... <laughs> I mean, I would, I would love to talk to people who, who don't agree with me about things like, you know, how is the world, how did it come to be? Creation, random atoms piggybacking on crystals that lightning hit, right? Whatever it looks like. Like, I love talking to people like that because it gives us this, this opportunity to be like, God really is the only answer that works. <laughs> I... Um, and if you're curious, I would love to talk to you. I mean, I, I, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm not much of a, a test tube guy, but I really enjoy the philosophy of science. And it's, it's incredible as we, as we come back to just saying, like, come to this fearful realization that, that this world, as Blaise Pascal said, and we look at the infinity without as the cosmos, we still have not charted the ends of it, and the infinity within, that we still do not know what's going on inside of ourselves, and we come to a God who is saying, I am, right, and gives us that stability. And this is where the Christian does have something different. In Ephesians 2.12, it says, Remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And this is where the Christian does have something different. The Christian has hope. And that hope isn't just a hope within this life, and it is a hope within this life, that we know him who created the world and everything in it. But it's a hope that goes beyond this life. A hope that goes beyond the grave also. A hope that when you are hurting or homeless or sick or anything like that, you can call out to God and he will hear and he will respond to you. A, a God who says, seek me and when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And that's a promise. Right? And how rarely do we offer that because 
because we're looking for it to be more rational than that, right? And I understand that. I was a philosophy major. I get the whole rational debate thing. But at what point do we as Christians just say, seek him with all your heart and you will find him? Or do we sustain more doubts in our lives than do we do the hope of actually coming to have answers to a God who says, you will never actually know what happened before that .03 seconds and the world hurtled into existence. But I am, and I explain those sorts of things, right? You will never know what to do with the pain that's been caused to you by other people or you've caused to yourself, but I do. I am, and I create the answer for that in the person of Jesus Christ, right? So if you're waiting till you know everything, good luck. But if you're waiting to know who can answer the most important questions, you found him in the person of Jesus Christ, who the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, and I believe that with all my heart, the glory of the one and only. And that's what we offer to people, right? You can move from this fear of helplessness. That like, like, I don't even know if I walk out and I should think everyone's bad or if I should think everyone's good or there's infinite potential or there's infinite damnation. I, you know, I don't know what to think. You can walk out and say, this I know. This I know. That, that by myself I am helpless. Right? I've been given a lot of gifts, a lot of strengths. I'm a person. Right? All of us have different abilities. But at some extent, man, if I get... There's just so much collateral out there, right? And so, so we have to enter the world going, I, I am limited. And come to this, this realization, this fearful realization of who God is, the God of Scripture, this mighty God who, as it says in Psalm 46, breaks the bow and shatters the spear, burns the shields with fire. This God who is mighty and is in control, who doesn't always respond in rational ways, and sometimes is saying, throw John overboard. Right? And we're like, no! Right? And we're rowing back. A God who is speaking and letting himself be made known. So you don't just have to know him from afar, but can actually have a relationship with him. And that's where the life comes from. It's having a relationship with him. Right? And come to that third fear, which is the fear of the Lord, where you're no longer afraid of him, but you're in awe of him and loving him. And following these sailors into what they do, which is sacrifice and make vows. And these two things are this. Sacrifice. They'd already thrown everything overboard. They didn't have any, sh- they didn't have any lambs or anything like that. Their sacrifice to him was merely saying, I'm giving up those tribal deities, those things that I've held on to. Right? And I'm going I'm to accept you, the Lord who is God of everything. Right? And the vows they were made was, man, I'm gonna, I, I am going to follow you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to l- now live my life getting to know you. Because that is where life is found. And so today as we continue to sing, and singing is always good because it helps me to, to think. <laughs> um, and as we have this opportunity again to worship God together, we're going to worship him in two ways. Not only through the words we're going to be speaking, but also we're going to take communion together. And what communion is, is a visible representation of the hope that is being offered from God to us. That, the, that God came in the person of Jesus Christ and offered us hope. Um, this very tangible reality that, that those who come to him can find healing and life in him. 
and then we're calling those who are nice and those that aren't so nice. And, and some of you might be like, I'm kind of nice. And some of you might be like, I suck. Right? That both of you guys are being called. Both of you are being called to come celebrate the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ who's coming and presenting to you life everlasting. He's saying, bring to me your wounds, bring to me your helplessness, and I will give you my strength. Um, and, I, and I hope ever and more that we can be a community that celebrates that together. So pray with me and we'll worship together. Oh God, I pray that we can hold these things. It's scary to talk about fear of helplessness and to think that, that there might be areas of my life where I still need to feel that profoundly. And many of us here who might need to feel that for the first time, that we, don't, we can't just rely upon ourselves for everything. God, I pray that we'll come to that full realization that what you're actually presenting to us in the scripture is not an opportunity just to feel guilty or be afraid, but an opportunity to actually be brought back into life through Jesus Christ. And, and we'll be amazed by that. We'll be both amazed as we read the scriptures, but we'll be amazed also as we look at the sunsets and everything that you made. And we just are excited about you. God, I pray you'll free us to do that. Um, God, protect our affections, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, so we can worship you. Together we praise in Jesus' name, amen.